five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. In today's episode, I am bringing you a kidney warrior story. Now there's always something you can learn from someone's story, something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today is George Angeli. George is a barber from London, England and shares his story of being diagnosed with nephrotic syndrome at the age of two, going on to dialysis, having two kidney transplants and the lessons he has learned along his journey. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, George? I'm good, Dee. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. So I'm good. I always look forward to interviewing kidney warriors and hearing their stories because um, I really believe that there's so much that people can learn from hearing someone's story and hearing from their lived experience. So I'm very excited to hear about your story and um, how it's all come about. So I'm going to start with my first question, which is, how did your kidney warrior journey begin and how were you diagnosed? So it began when I was two years old. Um, I kept waking up with puffy eyes and okay, this is what I've been told because at two I don't remember anything. So I was taken to the doctors a few times and they kept diagnosing it with um, conjunctivitis. And then somehow um, another doctor realized that it could be kidney related. So I got sent to, I got referred to uh, Great Woman Street. And there I was diagnosed as having nephrotic syndrome at the age of two. So what is nephrotic syndrome? It's when the kidneys, uh, they basically keep the protein and don't release the protein. So it doesn't, it, it's not filtered properly. They're, they're, yeah, the filtration system doesn't work how it should. Wow. Yeah. So you, you end up storing a lot of protein inside you and... Um, a lot of swelling goes on. So you become very swollen. That was a big baby. <laughs> so as a, so you were diagnosed age two. So how did this affect your, your childhood growing up? Okay. I, because at that age, you don't really know any different. Um, went to school. Everything was okay. Um, you thought it was okay, but you, as a child, you would miss more days because you'll be in and out of hospital, basically. Right. But until you got to your sort of teenage years, that's when you realise, okay, I, I'm, I'm different. 
um, because you see your teenage friends doing what they're doing and you're in and out of hospital. But before that, you don't know, you don't know any different. So did you, were you on, so from the age of two, were you on any form of treatment or, or were your kidneys uh, managing up until your teenage years? I was on a lot of medication. Uh, I think, I can't remember exactly, but at some stage in those years, I was on about 60 milligrams of steroids, which added to the bigness, basically. Uh, uh, Everybody knows about steroids. Everybody knows that, yeah. (laughs) Um, the moon face and all that so yeah I remember it well (laughs) Um, so yeah I was on that I was on other medication Um, I don't remember all of it I remember cyclophosphamide was one of them and the steroids I can't remember that far back the rest of the medication I'm sure I was on something it felt like I was taking loads of pills so that must have been very difficult growing up, being, as you said, you were in and out of hospital and on steroid treatment. And from my own experience of being on steroid treatment, I know how that affects you physically. And yeah. especially as a teenager, I can imagine that was, you know, every teenager goes through that, that phase when it comes to their self-image and then with the steroids on top of that. I mean, how was that? I mean, self-image went out the window. You're just this big ball walking around. <laughs> just that—that that was out the window. Self, self-image. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. It was. Um, I think I was very lucky because the friends I had um, and the school I went to, I, I had it. It was just good. Like I was surrounded by good, um, good teachers. Uh, I went to an all-boys school. Like all the guys were good, so it never really up to that age. I was just part of the team, so it didn't really affect me in in any ways. I and I just went with it, to be honest. Yeah, it wasn't something that. Um, yeah, self-image. Yeah, I wasn't affected at, at that age, and. Um, the whole school was understanding. It was a small school. Uh, there was only, I think, 200 of us, including teachers at that time. Oh, wow. So Very small. Yeah. So it was good times. It was good times at school, but bad times out of school, you know, all the hospital bits and pieces. So what was um, being in hospital like? What, what was the kind of thing that you had to, to deal with? Um. I think it was most most of it was um, just in and out for routine checks, but then when it came to I think it was ninety three, that's when things got a bit more uh, let's say serious, and I, I was in hospital for about uh, I think three months at that stage. Um, when they had to uh, do a nephrectomy, remove both my kidneys. Wow. Um, yeah. And then uh, go on dialysis. Um, it, it was 
it was a strange time, but you sort of learn to adapt. I mean, three three months is a long time to be in hospital. Yeah, very so, long time. but it was it was a different time. It was a different era. You know, we on the wards. Um, you know, we were allowed to bring our duvet, our pillow, make our own area, our own. So, you know, that as a kid had its advantages. You got to know all the nurses really well. It became like a a little hospital family, let's say. Um, you knew all the kids that the kids were in there for a long time as well on my ward. So it's almost like having external brothers and sisters, um, which made up, I guess, for the time I wasn't at school, you, you had it all there, which was, like I said, I can't remember it all. But the good times in hospital were good. You know, the bad times were, were bad. Yeah. <laughs> and um, how was the process of being on dialysis? What type of dialysis um, were you on? Uh, it was hemofiltration at that time, hemodialysis. Um, to be honest, I... I don't remember it too well. Um, uh, I think that that time it went, it was okay. It was every other day, um, like most people now, um, four hours. I remember it was four hours at that time being hooked up. Um, but... Other than that, I don't remember too, too much. I remember at stages it wasn't comfortable because um, you're, you're young, your bowels open, you've got to go to the toilet, and that was that was a nightmare. So, <laughs> you know, at that age, I can't control it. Yeah. Um, How old were you at that time? I was, th- I was 13. Right. Yeah, I was 13 at that time. And... Yeah, um, so 13 and then had the transplant in, yeah, 94, 94, yeah. So you were on dialysis for a couple of years then? I think it was, I, I can't remember exactly if it was, if it was a year, if it was eight months, but it was a while, it, it was a while. I don't think it was a couple of years, but if felt like a while okay yeah so you said that you went on to have a transplant so how did that come about so they tested my mum and dad uh, my dad was compatible at that time so it just went just went with him I don't know if I was put on the register or not um, I was kept out of the dark quite a lot it was it wasn't, okay, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. It was on the day, this is happening. So, wow. yeah, yeah, it was. It, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it, it, it was tough going, okay, the transplant, you sort of know that that's coming. But everything else, when you go, when I was going in, into hospital, like today, you might, you're going to stay in. Oh, okay. Oh, this oh, or that's wow. going to happen. Yeah. So do, um, you, do you think that they did that because they didn't want to worry you? I have no idea why they did that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe not to worry me, or just, oh, or just like let's get on with it. 
and I don't know. I don't know how my parents were thinking at that time. Okay. Yeah. So how did um, having that transplant change your life? So it, I mean, the swelling went, so that, that was a good thing. I mean, when you can't bend your joints, like your knees and you're just tired walking. I think they took out 60 litres at that time. Like, like just came off me How after many? the... after. 60. 60? Yeah, 60 litres. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because I wasn't yeah, sure if so, you said 16 uh, or 60, but 60. Six, yeah, wow. I, I mean, I, I was I was big, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I turned into a stick, basically, <laughs> basically overnight. And wow. And it was, yeah, it, like healthier. So that, that was one thing. Um, it felt like it was a new lease of life. Well, it was a new lease of life because you just change. Um, yeah, um, had it finished my my primary school, went on to secondary school. Um, and life was life after that. Yeah. So. You went on to have a um, a second transplant. So how did that come about? So pre to so from I had the transplant in two thousand eighteen, but the doctors were telling me I think about six or seven years before that that I should consider a transplant because my kidney my my kidneys were failing and my creatinine was shooting up, and I'm very much no, like. The day I collapse is the day I need a transplant kind of person. Okay. So, yeah, I I was very stubborn and I just got on with it. And every time I went to an appointment, are you sure, are you sure? Yes, let's just keep going. So beginning of 2018, um, yeah, my, well, 2017, my creatinine was shooting up. It got to... Uh, by I think it was the beginning of end of 2017, beginning of 2018, it, it crept up to uh, 1500. So y- yeah. you know that's high. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's mega high. <laughs> yeah, um, and and I was still working, still getting on with whatever. Yeah. Um, wow. And it just, I remember it reached one day that. I had a, a meeting with a couple of guys and I felt like I wasn't going to get through that meeting. It was, I thought I was going to pass out. I couldn't talk. And I thought, okay, right. Now now it's time. <laughs> so, so that is when it all started, basically. I went on to dialysis. So that was the beginning of January. Went on to dialysis in May of 2018. Uh, the worst it was the worst dialysis uh, well I don't remember back in 2013 but I wouldn't wish this on anyone I mean every day during dialysis my my head felt like it was going to explode like real pressure and that went on for like 24 hours so I never really 
stop having those headaches where you thought your head was going to explode. Um, and then, yeah, went on dialysis. That all happened. This time around, um, in the background, my mum got tested and a friend of mine got tested. Um, so both of them were a match. My mum this time around, because medical technology had changed, so um, my mum was a match and my friend was a match, and they said, let's go with your mum. So I had then I had the transplant uh, July 18th. Yeah. Um, and and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what difference did that second transplant make? So it, if, okay, first of all, I had gout when I went into the hospital. I've been suffering from gout in one of my fingers. So my finger was severely swollen, let's say. I woke up and that finger has returned to normal. So that was the first thing I looked at. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> that, that helped that. So the uric acid was controlled. Um, but because I'm in, in a different place mentally, it's, it's changed a lot. I mean, I look at things a lot differently. Um, more, I was never one to say, oh, why me? Why me? Uh, I never went down that, that route. Um, but I've, yeah, I've got a more positive look on life. Okay, I have my bad days like everyone else, but I, I still have that positive outlook. Um, it's just, I think it's just changed me mentally. Uh, when, I think when you go through sort of medical stuff, it it can either turn you to go one way or the other way. Yeah. And I'm I'm more of the kind of person that no, it's, I feel I feel good. I want to do good for other people. Um, yeah, that's what it's done for me. So, in terms of um, how, just rewinding slightly, looking um, at the impact on your family, how has having CKD affected your family life? What, my parents or, or like private life or just everything? Anything you want to share? <laughs> anything. <laughs> All right, if we if let's say let's go right back um, when I was young, um, I think it affected my sister quite a lot because she was bounced from house to house, friends to friends, family because I was in a out of hospital quite a lot, so my parents were running around after me. She's eighteen months younger than me, so they didn't want her in an out of hospital. So I think that's affected her by not having her parents around at those sort of eight, that sort of age when she was needed, when they were needed, sorry. Um, my parents themselves, they got divorced just after my transplant. Um, they had their own issues, um, whatever that was. And um, myself later on in life, it affected me because it, I reached a stage where at the time 
um, the person I was with, we wanted kids, couldn't have kids because of the medication that was on. So that affected, let's say, our relationship at that time. Um, so I think it's affected everyone in some sort of way. My dad's more, he was, um, so my, my parents are from Cyprus. So my dad is that mentality of he doesn't really show his feelings. So I think it, I think it affected him a fair bit, but you don't see anything. But there's some, like now when we talk, you can see that something is there and was there, but he never showed it. <sighs> my mum, I think she's just, she's just stubborn. <laughs> so you can't really read her. Um, but obviously, you know, she, she was the main person at the time taking me to hospital and, and dealing with the doctors at the, that young age. So I think for her, probably in the end, she just got tired and exhausted because, you know, running around constantly and working at the same time and looking after the house. Um, yeah, I think that's how it affected her. So it's, it's affected everybody, I, I would say, in one way or another. And back in 2018, my sister, uh, now we're all older, constantly worrying. Um, yeah. There's a piece taken out of everyone from it. It's definitely been challenging. But your family, at the same time, sound so supportive. I mean, your dad and your mom giving you the gift yeah, yeah. Of, of a kidney, you know, they sound like incredible people. Yeah, I mean, this it is amazing. <laughs> you know, you, they produce you and then they actually give you an organ each. It's, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. It's, yeah, it's, it's a crazy thing to have happened. What would you say has been your hardest challenge and, and what did you learn from it? Um, I think the hardest, I, I think the hardest challenge would have been missing out from like my secondary years, let's say, um, and not knowing where you fitted in growing up from secondary school up to your sort of 20s, that sort of big chunk from the age of 14 to. 20 I think that was my probably my hardest period not knowing where to fit in um who you are as as a person because mm -hmm. that's an important sort of transitional time uh, in life um so that was the hardest time but then I got over it just by having the right people in my life um yeah that's i ended up going to college meeting some some good people there and f uh, that was barbering college so from there it's sort of it changed it just changed me made me more of a sort of um let's say open-minded um brought me out of my shell um because i was 
in that college, I was, there was people in their 40s, in their 30s, 20s, teens. So I think that really helped. I, I would say that that probably made me who I am as a person in the end, just going to that barbering college. I think, it's, I think I was 19 when I went. So, yeah, toughest time. It was secondary school, then went to that, and that sort of pretty much changed everything. What would you say, um, can you pinpoint something that was the, the turning point for that when you said that, you know, you, you went into this new environment and you met all these different people? What would you say? Would you say there's one particular thing or many things that, triggered that change within you i think it was because i wasn't i was talking to people of all different ages and i didn't feel judged in any way um yeah i I think it was that i didn't feel judged um you know, by by looking a certain way or what the uncomfort I had in secondary school, I didn't have it there. So I think that that's what made everything change, basically, because um, I wasn't just surrounded by people in their teens. So, and I think that that helped. That that really helped because you know, in your teens, there's pretty judgmental people. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's a bad age, I reckon. <laughs> that that age. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you know, a, a, a lot of people going through kidney problems. They're quite short. You know, I'm, I'm definitely not six foot. I'm just about five foot something. So, you know, but yeah, you don't fit the mold as a teenager. And there, I did. So it. It was good, and that gave me my confidence. Actually, going going to that college. What advice would you give someone who's just been diagnosed with kidney disease? This is a tough one, D. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think talk. That's the most important thing. Talk to other people who have gone through something, who are going through something. Um, don't just sit there and, you know, play that record. Why me? Why me? Because medical technology has moved on so much that you, there, there's, there's help, whether it will be like the physical, the psychological side of things. It's, it's changed so much. Um, so just talk. Um let it all out, whatever you have inside, because there's always something inside when you've been diagnosed with something. Let it out, even if it's just to the doctor, because the, the doctors that we have now, they're not doctors like we had back back in the day where you felt scared to talk to them. The doctors now, they're, they're so easy to talk to. So anything I'm unsure of, you've just let it out. Um, it's so, I, think, I find... It's really important to talk. I think that helps. That helps a lot. There's a lot of people that don't. More people should talk. Um, 
because yeah, I mean, just from this podcast, people could learn. Um, there's groups out there. You need to let it out because it will, it will, it will eat you up inside. I mean, I, I've only just learned to let things out this this year. I always used to talk a lot, but now I'm letting it out properly, uh, and it's helping. So that's what I I would advise: just to let it out. That's really good advice. What are the best resources that have helped you along the way? Um, resources as hospital-wise or? Um, you see, I don't want to put ideas into in mind to influence your answer, but um, websites or um, books or anything. Okay, websites. I'm not really. Um, I read a lot of, um, let's say, like these positivity books. Um, yeah, I read a lot of them, um, and just by talking to like certain people at, at work, that you know, I, get, I have um, a lot of doctors as clients. Um, some I have some writers that write these these sort of books so for me that that's helped for me uh, I don't go on the websites because just yeah that I, I read things that I don't agree with and I don't want to respond so I stay away from that <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah um so for me yeah th- those those things what are common myths about kidney disease that you would like to debunk I think a lot of people, as soon as they hear the words kidney disease, they they go into shock and, okay, I've got kidney disease. I think I'm going to die. Um, what am I going to do? Um, I, I won't be able to live with this. And that's that's all f- false. <laughs> it's, it is. It's, it's all false. You're not going to, you know, if someone tells you today you've got kidney disease, you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're, and you're going to keep waking up because nine times out of 10, there's a solution for everything now. So yeah, it, it's easy for me to say, cause I've been through it and I know, I know the outcome of it, but for a first timer, it's, it's, I, I understand, I appreciate it. It's, it's difficult. Um, my, he, in 2000, I had my transplant, and in 2019, he went into hospital with headaches. They told him his kidneys had packed up, and he needed he needs a transplant. And uh, and he yeah he thought that he was going to die. And no, we had this whole long conversation, and you know he he saw my process and everything. And in the end, he I mean. He went on dialysis and he was still going to work, carrying on as normal, just had his transplant, I think, two weeks ago. And he's doing he's doing fine. So yeah. It yeah, you're not gonna die. <laughs> you just yeah, not. Yeah, I think that's one of the, the main 
yeah, the main sort of, I don't know if it's a myth or people just think it when they hear those words, yeah. that their, their life is, that my life is over. But uh, it, it isn't. What question do you wish I had asked you? Um, you've asked, you've asked everything, B. Um, <laughs> Um, did the hospital give enough support, mental support? Okay. So did the hospital give you enough mental support? No. No, I, I think, um, I don't think they did. And also back in when I had my first first transplant, something should have been done then. Because as, as a youngster going through that, you need, you need someone to yeah, sit you down, tell you what's happening, what's going to happen, um, help help with your mind, basically. Um, so I, th- I th- should have happened at a young age. When I had it in 2018, I didn't feel I, I needed it. Because I knew what my life was about, what was happening. Um, but I think if you're new to this, you need someone to, someone experienced to tell you that you might be on medication that might alter the way that your mind thinks. Um, you're going to go to some dark places. You, you need to be told that these things might happen to you. Because um, I know from 2018, yeah, some of the med- medication I was on, uh, I think I had two people living upstairs in my head. Um, but I got over it by saying to myself, okay, this is a medication, this is medication. Um, but there's people that aren't that strong. But if you if you know beforehand and it's explained to you that this this and this might happen um then i think that that i think it's really needed it's no good just giving someone a leaflet and saying if uh, if you have any problems call this number you, you need someone physically there maybe catching up with you while you're in hospital how you doing and talking things through. I think mental health is such a is such a big thing that more needs to be done on, on that side of things. I mean, the doctors are, are great what they do, but the mental health side of things is something that really needs to be looked at. But again, it comes to money, resources. So what, what do you do when that isn't available? I agree. Um, mental health support is vital because, yeah. um, as you said, to go into something and you don't get that preparation, it's it's hard enough when you when you do, but without yeah. it, it's um, very very difficult. But I I know that um, there are charities out there that do mm-hmm. offer um, mental health support, like Kidney Care UK. Um, so, but I think I, I think what people uh, yeah, you're, you're right that with those charities and everything, but I think people, 
there might still be a stigma attached to reaching out to people. Yes. But if someone is there, actually physically there in the hospital, on the wards, going around, I know you're going to need a whole team to do that, which is difficult. But while you're basically in court, you know, you're they're there. So it's not left to you to do once you leave. Mm-hmm. Um, they catch you, catch you in the moment. Um, exactly how, like the doctors, every morning they go around, in the evening they go around. I, I, I believe that someone, or some people should just go around checking in on, on people. Because um, once you leave the hospital, it's, it is almost like, right, you're left to your own devices. If you want to call this number, call it. If you don't call it, it's down to you. So... yeah there's still that stigma about talking um that's why i believe it should be done more in-house than left to the patients to to sort of find their own ways because um yeah i I am aware that charities are lobbying for more mental health support within hospitals Mm. so um i know that that is something that is being addressed but i absolutely agree with you that more needs to be done on the mental health side and also we really do need to take the stigma away Mm. people are suffering in silence because they're they're more worried about how they're seen um how people are going to react how they're going to be judged in a negative way that they you know that they're not getting the help that they need so i think by talking about this as we are now is helping to, sh- to show people it is okay. The reason why you're in the place that you're in and the place that I'm in is that we've been able to talk to people. Yeah. This journey is so difficult and, you know, for anybody starting out, it's a, telling them it, it's not a bed of roses, telling them that it's it setting them up for failure if they think, oh, it's going to be easy because it's not. But, no, it's definitely not easy. <laughs> but it's it's... Giving people strategies and and mm. help and and to be able to have the freedom and comfort of saying it's okay not to be okay, and we've all been there, and it's all part of the journey, and you will be okay. So yeah, yeah, you will be okay. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> but I think a lot of it as well is it depends on your. I, I believe it depends on your character, your surroundings. It has a lot to do with a lot of things. Um, You know, it's... Some people, they don't have that, which is... It's sad. So for those people, especially those people, the help should be there. Um, The help should be there for all of us. But, you know, if if they're professionals at their, their job, they can pick out those people more than the other people. To, to give that help because again yeah, like you said it's not a bed of roses this uh <laughs> kidney game it's definitely not <laughs> not at all do you have a, a final word of advice for our listeners there is light at the end of the tunnel there there really is um yeah there's it's it's just moved on so much that 
you can and you will be helped. Um, it's, it's tough, but everyone gets there in the end. So, yeah, just look at the positive sides because there are more positives than down. So, yeah, yeah, focus on those positives and you get through it. We got through it, D. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. And finally, where can our listeners connect with you online? So online, um, social media is only pretty much Instagram. Um, Instagram is where I work. It's Richmond Barbers. Um, that's the only social media I have. Okay. Don't want any more social media. That's it. <laughs> okay, so you can connect with George at Richmond Barbers on yes. Instagram. Yeah. Thank you so much for um, sharing your story and sharing this time and so much of your experience and knowledge with our listeners. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Dee. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kitty Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.